This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. What's the weirdest thing you've eaten? So in Japan, there's a thing called shirako. Yeah. And actually, it's one of the delicacies in Japan, especially during the winter time. Okay. It's basically a, a fish sperm. <laughs> I'm trying to picture this. Like. <laughs> it's I can't be disrespect to the chef. Yeah, so I, like yeah. sometimes I'm just like, I just close my eyes and uh, I just shove it in my mouth and I just swallow. And I'm like, yeah. this is not good. This yeah. is not good. Welcome back to the show, guys. I'm your host as always, Sean Kelly. Got a special guest for you guys today, Chef Min Kim. How's it going? Sean, how are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me, man. I'm really excited for this. Absolutely. When we met, um, that was, so you're part of Mizumi, obviously, and uh, got to meet you at your restaurant, and that was one of the best meals I've ever had. Thank you. That's how much of a mark you left on me. I had to have you on the show. And considering that was two years ago, I was like looking back like at my feed and, you know, the messages that we've been sending back and forth, and I'm like, Holy hell, that was like two years ago. It's been a while. Time flies. Time flies. And obviously, like, I've been, you know, I'm a big fan of yours. I've been following your journey and stuff. And, you know, but just to think that was two years ago. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. Before I even started the podcast or anything. Right, right. Crazy. Yeah. So how'd you get involved with Mizumi and being at the win as a partner? That's an incredible feature to accomplish. Yeah. um, So, you know, I've been with the company for almost nine years now. Um, my journey with Win started in Macau. We have our sister property in Macau. You know, we have our sister property in Boston, but also in Macau. And back in 2015, um, you know, there was a property called Win Palace, which was second Win property in Macau, mm. um, was was being constructed and you know um, getting ready to open. So then, one of my friends that I used to work with. Um, back in Australia, he was there already in Macau as opening pre-opening team of of that property, um, and he called me. I remember like I was I was in Australia at the time when he called me. He's like, "Hey, um, there's a really cool gig, like, and this is like grand. This is you know off this planet type of thing, hmm. you know. And I'm really excited for it, and I want you to be part of it, like, if you want." Mm. And I was like, "Man, like, sounds pretty cool. I've never." even thought about working in Macau, right? I'm like, okay, you know, let me just go and check it out. So even before committing to anything, I went over there just to see what it's like. And it was actually really cool. So I'm like, okay, like I'm in, right? So that was back in 2015, started my journey with Win, And then after um, four and a half years of my time in Macau, I kind of thought it was my time to just move on. And then, you know, at the time this opportunity came up in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. So I just got transferred from Macau to here and, you know, um, it's just been here ever since. Beautiful. So you never been to Vegas before you moved here? So I have a couple of times, um, but just to like travel, right? Yeah. Like just to visit. And I think there is a like huge difference between like visiting a place and liking it versus like living there, right? Sure. It's completely different, I guess, dynamics. So, um, and like, to be honest, like I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't gamble, wow. right? So <laughs> that's which, rare here. Very rare for a chef, right? <laughs> yeah. Being a chef, like, when I tell people like, oh, I don't drink. And they're like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> like, literally, they're like, they're seriously concerned. And they're like, are you okay? <laughs> are you okay? Um, so, you know, like, so just in that sense, like 
being in Vegas wasn't really top of my list, mm-hmm. the place to live and work. Right. But, you know, I thought about the culture and the people that I work with at Win, and, you know, being a professional and being a professional in my field and in my industry, for me, it's, I work so much that I don't like even get a chance to go out and enjoy the actual city so much anyway. Mm. You know, so for me, it's about I spend almost like 70 to 80% of my life at work. So what mattered more for me, and which still is, is about where I work and the people that I work with. Wow. So that really attracted me to come here because I knew the enough professional people around me that I'd be working with. Yeah, wow, 70, 80% is high. So you're pretty much at the restaurant all day. All day, all day. And I have like my different business that I run in Asia as well. So right. because of time difference, let's say I will finish my work at my restaurant and win at one, and I'll go home, have dinner, you know, work out a little bit and shower, and from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., I'll work on my business in Asia. Holy crap. Yeah, so I only sleep about like, five hours every day so you don't sleep till 6 a.m yeah and then, <laughs> yeah yeah sometimes sometimes worse depending on what's going on over there like yeah. you know during the time especially i mean asia like generally like struggled a lot right fmb industry they suffer so much really so you know um i took my restaurant and my business took a lot of hit and damage mm. um during the time and you know i had to focus a lot more on them in terms of operations and you know profitability and stuff like that yeah. so you know, now I only spend about two or three hours every day with them. Mm-hmm. But like comparatively speaking, back back in 2021, I was spending probably about four or five hours every mm-hmm. day just going through the strategies and plans and long-term plans and short-term plans and stuff yeah. like that. It's amazing to see you thrive in this space because a lot of restaurants fail. A lot, a lot. I mean, you know, I mean, you probably know this, but statistically speaking, they say four restaurants out of five that open generally fails like globally speaking so you know only one restaurant out of five that opens actually survives and strives Mm. so which is like crazy number if you think about it yeah did you know that going into the restaurant industry not really (laughs) i mean you know like my dad is a chef right so like in a way i'm like second generation chef and i was born in a restaurant my dad you know i grew up in a poverty i mean for lack of better terms, poverty. Mm. Like we did have a lot of money, right? Mm. Um, and you know, back in the days, people become a chef because you're a mm. right? People like <laughs> you don't become a chef because you 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 pursue glory and money and success. Like you know, I'm talking like 40, 50 years ago. You mm. become a chef because you have no other skills in your <laughs> life. Like oh, what do I do? Okay, I'll just go to a restaurant and wash dishes, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you slowly move up the rank. And before you know, it, you're like hey chef, right? <laughs> That's kind of what happened to my dad as well. So. You know, when he decided to open his own restaurant, he didn't have too much money. So what he did was he bought a property. He actually built it himself, him and his friends. So half of those, half of that property that he bought, he transferred into like a restaurant, mm-hmm. the forefront of it, and then the back end of it, he turned into a like residential housing, I guess, like spa. Mm. So when I was born, like literally, I was in a literal sense, I was born in a restaurant. Wow. So like, you know, because we didn't have too much space, we actually even didn't have a kitchen. The only kitchen space that we had for the house was basically the kitchen of the restaurant. So we wow. shared the same space. So, you know, every single day, every breath that I took as a kid in that area was being part of the restaurant. So I, I couldn't think of anything else but to become a chef, <laughs> right? Like, cause that was almost like almost the option, only option that was shown to me yeah. as a kid growing up for over a decade. Yeah. Was this in Australia? 
It was in Korea. Korea. It was in Korea. So uh, my dad specialized in Japanese cuisine. He studied and trained a lot in Japan. Came back to Korea mm. to open up his own restaurant. Nice. Um, and it was pretty cool, right? I mean, like, you know, as a kid, I would go into the kitchen, you know, and then I always see my dad, like, yelling and screaming, you know. <laughs> he's, like, throwing around and he's, like, telling people off and, like, you know, nobody's, like, talking back to him. And yeah. I'm like, dude, that's cool, right? Wow. Like, in my head, I'm like, man, like, I want to be, like, I want to be that. I don't know <laughs> what that is, but I want to be that. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's how I was kind of inspired to, to become a chef. Dang, so he was a were you kind of fearful of him? Very, <laughs> like very, right? Like, I mean, he was a very, he was a, such a like authority type of figure, right? Yeah. Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say he was a tyrant, right? Mm. He was more like very honorably respected okay. from his staff, right? But even his presence spoke a lot. Like, you know, when he entered the room, you know, like one of those people that comes into the room, comes into the space and immediately you would feel the energy change, right? right? He was one of those type of people. Like he will walk into the kitchen or he'll walk into the restaurant mm -hmm. and straight away the air immensely just changed. Wow. That type of like it's I don't I wouldn't I wouldn't want to say it was a fear. It was more of that, I guess, like predominant like alpha male type of energy <laughs> yeah, yeah. right like yeah, you walk you in and you're like oh dude respect type <laughs> of feel yeah wow so do you kind of carry that in your restaurants too to a, like to a degree i mean i try right i try and you know i'm a very very strict you know like type of type of like leader because you know i have very high standard to achieve right, right. and in order to achieve the high standard and excellence you have to pursue a pathway of discipline, like hard working ethic, right? Yeah. Like commitment, dedication, your passion, everything, right? Mm -hmm. Like in the pursuit of excellence, it comes with a lot of sacrifice. People don't realize that, mm. right? They think like, oh, just be good. Like just, you know, <laughs> just make it nice or like be excellent, right? People think it's just like as, as simple and easy as just saying it, but there's just so much sacrifice that comes with it, mm. right? And, you know, like, what I mean by sacrifice, there's a lot of that long hours, right? When I was working in Japan, I used to work like 80 to 90 hours a week, Jeez. right? And like, you know, and like they are very, very strict and sometimes even like physically violent type of environment, right? Wow. They will like literally like kick you in the leg, Damn. right? They're like, why just stuff up, right? <laughs> so there was a lot of that um, intense environment that really like makes you into almost like a monster, mm. but not in sort of bad way, right? Monster in a way of like you are, you are like fearless, like mm -hmm. you are strong, and you are, you know, like the you have that dominance, right? right? Like you get through anything. Correct. Yeah. 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 So how long were you learning in Japan for? So I was there for four years, wow. and you know, probably like working in Japan was the hardest experience that I ever had in my career, right? Like I was saying you literally work 80 to 90 hours a week. And that's like normal, that's right? Crazy. When there is like big event or when, when it's a peak busy season, whatever, you will literally break like 90 to 100 hours. And you're standing the whole time, right? Whole time, oh like gosh. running, like literally running in your sweats. Wow. So I remember some like during the summertime, like I would finish work like 2 a.m., 3 a.m. Cause like you gotta like clean the kitchen. Like, oh, you had to clean too? Oh, spotless clean. Dang. Like on my knees, on my hands and knees, like scrubbing the floor with Whoa. like toothbrush. 
a like toothbrush toothbrush holy crap yeah like literally they give you like like one of the bigger ones like yeah. toothbrush and toothpaste and they're <laughs> like okay you go from there to there all the way scrub wow and i'm like like literally scrub? <laughs> and they're like yep so that i mean like i could literally sleep on the floor that's how clean the place was Jeez. like in japanese people are very like sensitive about hygiene the cleanliness and yeah. stuff like that so you know which i thought it was really good thing for a restaurant to focus on so i didn't have any complaints but you know sometimes i would finish at 2 3 a.m in the morning and i would like come out of the restaurant and i don't realize how much i sweat right mm -hmm. but like sometimes i would come out and i would see my like black t-shirt completely almost white whoa from like the salinity from my sweat crazy yeah that's, that's unreal yeah yeah why why is the sushi so good in japan i think i think it's a dedication i think it's a dedication to master craftsmanship a lot of japanese people they dedicate their whole life in one craftsmanship mm. like you know you go to japan like for example you go to sushi restaurant and they only do sushi right right for example like you know comparatively speaking in america or like in more like western societies even australia europe you go to a Japanese restaurant and they do sushi, they do tempura, they do teppanyaki. Yeah. They do like everything, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's good from a consumer's perspective. It's good because you have a lot more different varieties to try. But I think when you, when you stretch out your pool so far, it's a lot more difficult for you to go in depth mm. in terms of quality. And I think that's what Japanese chefs do so great. Like you go to like tempura restaurant in Japan, in Tokyo. And, you know, the chef you talk to, he's like third generation of tempura chef. Like his father was a tempura chef. Wow. His grandfather was a tempura chef. Yeah. So literally he's been like the whole family has been running that restaurant for like century, mm. right? So then obviously when you do something for a century, you know, it's probably safe to say you pick up a trick or two here <laughs> and there, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, they literally master their craftsmanship. Like, you know, and it's, it's accumulated experience and knowledge over the course of so many years, right? right? And, you know, that's how you become a master at something. Yeah, I agree with that. Whenever I go to a restaurant and the menu's super long, that's a red flag for me. 100%. Like a diner, it's like five pages. I'm like, oh my gosh, this, <laughs> you're probably freezing everything on this. Right, <laughs> 100%. Like you, you feel, literally feel like you're reading a Bible, right? <laughs> like page after page after page, you're like, okay, at this point, like, I'm lost. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. I like simple menus for sure. Correct, yeah. Which dishes took the longest for you to perfect? I know sushi is pretty hard, right? Very hard. Um, and I think, and to be, to be very, very honest, Sean, like I don't think I actually perfected any of that yet, mm. right? Um, again, comparatively speaking, like, you know, um, I know there are a lot of good chefs out there and, you know, I know there are a lot of good restaurants out there. And every time when I go out to eat at those restaurants, especially like in Japan, it really humbles me mm. like to a shame almost <laughs> i'm like and i'm eating sometimes like at this like you know two mission and three mission well like sometimes not even like that level like sometimes you go to like you know this like really simple casual restaurant hole in the world type of place in the back alley of like tokyo shinjuku whatever yeah and you walk in and literally they don't have the menu right and you you talk to these like masters or like the the head chefs and they're like oh you just eat whatever i give you and i'm like okay <laughs> and they start giving you all these crazy ass dishes and like just mind-blowing dishes right? wow 
and just like to see how much they know and how skilled they are and how talented they are and they're like nobody's yeah. right nobody knows them they literally they own a, like small joint with a hole in the wall in the back alley of like you know back of the tokyo somewhere wow but like you look at them and you're like man you are so much better than i am mm-hmm. and like it just it just really humbles you the notion of that right yeah so even though like I, I like to think that I'm good at what I do and I, I believe that I am good at what I do to a certain point, but I don't think I'm to a level where I can say, yeah, I've perfect, I, I perfected like any of my skill set or craftsmanship. Wow. And that's crazy to say because you've been working at this your whole life. My 20 years. Yeah. But there's always people doing better. I mean, always, right? Yeah. Is it hard for you to eat in the U.S., like eat at restaurants? Um... Yes and no, Sean. Like yes and no. I mean, yes in a sense. I've I've worked at like seven different, six different countries. So, and I travel a lot, right? I travel like I think almost sixty countries. So, wow. so you know, there's so many things. I guess so many references for me to compare to, mm-hmm. right? So in a sense, I would go out and, you know, especially like this day and age, like everything is so inflated. Like you go to a restaurant and you literally like have like half full type of meal and it still cost you like 200 bucks yeah right with especially like, in vegas especially in vegas yeah right so then like you think about the value for money that you pay right yes it was a good meal but then when you really think about the value versus like how much you pay mm-hmm. i don't think it amounts to what you actually pay so you know in that sense i think about oh man like you know if if i was in japan or if i was in like korea or singapore or like you know china i think man, like I could have had like a beautiful meal at like a fraction of the cost that I pay for. Yeah. So in that regard, in that aspect, I'm like, oh, it's kind of tough me going out to restaurants in America to pay that much money and that get that sort of quality. Mm-hmm. But no, in a sense, because in America, there are so many different options, right. so many different options. And, you know, I feel like I love the sense of when I go out to restaurants, a lot of like, servers and you know waiting staff like front house staff like they are very friendly mm-hmm. right whereas like you go to a restaurant in japan in korea or like you know asian countries they are they're like the waiting staff are a little more reserved they don't even talk to you they right? don't even talk to you <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know right yeah, i mean i've heard about it right and they just stand there and they literally like just look at you <laughs> like you know like on the, with their side eyes like are you done, are you done? <laughs> yeah, yeah. right so it's kind of awkward but whereas like in america like everyone's kind of friendly, right? right. You, you have actually great experience and time interacting with the staff at the restaurant. Right. So yeah, I think that's probably the biggest difference. That's cool. Yeah, I didn't even think about it. You know all the margins. So from that perspective, you're like, that's oh, true. this guy spent like 20 bucks on this and I paid 200. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a curse. It's, it's a blessed and a curse at the same time. Yeah. I feel, I, and I try not to think about the business aspect of the dining experience when I go out because once you start getting into the more technical and business side of you know the whole dining experience it's just not fun anymore right? yeah. yeah yeah you're becoming too anal at that point right what's the weirdest thing you've eaten <laughs> there are so many um weirdest i mean there are just a couple of things i it's so in japan there's a thing called shirako yeah. shirako is it's very commonly eaten and actually it's one of the delicacies in japan especially during the winter time okay um it's like in a literal translation, it's basically a, a fish sperm. Fish sperm? Yeah. How do they even capture that? So, 
<laughs> I'm trying to picture this. Like, <laughs> it's it's actually not as crazy as you think. So you catch a fish, and when you gut it, when you take the gut out, there is a sack. It, there is a sack of sperm. Yeah. Right. Um. So it's almost like, if you think of any type of organ, right? But there is like a part where like the fish stores its sperm in its own like little sack. Okay. So they basically extract that out from the fish mm. and they whether cook it or sometimes they serve it like sashimi roll. Um, you know, most times with the ponzu, with a little like citric soy sauce yeah. to sort of cut down that like fishiness to it. Um, I understand it's a delicacy and I understand it's a cultural thing, but that is something that I can just never get used to. <laughs> I, I've tried a few times and, you know, when you go to this like top high-end omakase restaurants and yeah. you just have to eat what chefs give you, you have no choice, yeah. right? And I can't be disrespect to the chef. So yeah, I like yeah. sometimes I'm just like, I just close my eyes and uh, I just shove it in my mouth and I just swallow. And I'm like, yeah. this is not good. This yeah. is not good. I can't see that being good. Yeah. And even just like conceptually think like the notion behind, okay, this is a sperm. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, it's just like something that I would never put in my mouth for yeah. a million years, but I'm doing it because I'm a chef. Yeah. <laughs> right. And it's, yeah. You're doing it for the people, man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and there's like probably one other thing is like fugu. Fugu. Like blowfish. Blowfish? Oh, yeah. that's the poisonous one. Poisonous right? fish. Yeah. And like, which is like delicious. Mm. Like, but you know, there is obviously like 70% of the actual fugu fish, blowfish that you can't eat because mm. it's like poisonous. So there's only like 30 to 40% of the whole fish you can actually, right. it's, which is edible. But like, we, I love it, right? Especially like, it's such a winter delicacy during the winter time, like I crave it so much. Yeah. But every time I eat it, I think about, like I, I'm just trying to comprehend like, okay, so at, at, at some point through the human evolution, some guy <laughs> must have thought, hey, what's that like weird looking blowing thing in the water? Like, <laughs> I wonder if I can try to eat it, yeah. right? And then like, he would cut it up and like, whichever way he, he, he cut it, he's like, Hmm, I wonder if it's edible. Hey, come here. Like, hey, do you want to try this a little <laughs> bit? And this guy dies, right? Yeah. And then, and then, like, this guy must be a psychopath. So at that point, instead of saying, "Oh man, this is not edible. Don't eat it. Don't eat it," he's like, "Oh, okay. So that part is not edible. Yeah. What about this part? <laughs> hey, hey, yeah, uh, come call another guy. He's like, hey, try this part. And this guy dies too, right? Yeah. You go through so many of that practice <laughs> to figure out what is edible and what part is not edible. Yeah. And like just the notion behind somebody even like willing to try something that he's seen people die from, mm -hmm. but but just to pursue that procedure of like, I want to keep trying until I figure out which part yeah. that I can eat. There's someone out there that did that once probably. Right? It's just like, <laughs> that is just mind blowing to me. Yeah, that's funny. I tried jellyfish once. Oh, that's what what'd you think of it? I didn't like it. Yeah? Yeah. Do you like it? I do, but it's got to be done right though. Okay. It's got to be done right. Was yeah. that what, like, what, what was the part that you didn't like? So I was at Wing Lei. Uh -huh. I tried it. I guess it was kind of rubbery. Yeah, the texture. Texture, it yeah. It was the texture, right? Yeah. What so about it, the flavor? It just tasted bland. Is it supposed to have a flavor? No, I mean, depends how you do it. I mean, there are different ways that you can prepare. Yeah. Um, you know, you can season it and sauce it in a way that it, it can it can be infused into jellyfish. Mm. But the jellyfish itself, like naturally, doesn't have any flavor. Okay. Like, Blend, like yeah, said. that's probably why I didn't like it then. Yeah, yeah, it didn't have any. It didn't come with the sauces or anything like that. No, no? just plain. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm assuming the best sushi you've had is in Japan, right? 
it's it's hard to say. Like I think for me, yes. But I think a lot of times when you go to Japan, like people have this weird, not a weird, I guess it's normal, but to me it's kind of like strange idea and expectation of like, I'm going to have the best sushi experience ever. Yeah. So at that point, doesn't matter what they feed you, you're going to like it because you're in that already set of mind. Right. This is where the best sushi is at. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I, I like, I understand like some of the, my best sushi experience definitely was in Japan, but even like some places outside Japan, like Hong Kong, Singapore, mm-hmm. like you can still go to Japanese restaurant in those cities and countries and have like exceptional sushi experiences. Mm. And like, for example, like I do my sushi a little bit differently. I, I do it more like in a contemporary way, mm-hmm. which is not accepted in Japan. Like if I made my sushi the way I do in Japan, people will tell me, go back to America. Right? Really? <laughs> it's, it's very contemporary. Wow. But like, you know, Katy Perry used to come into my restaurant a lot. And yeah. like literally she said like, chef, you can quote this anywhere you go. She goes, your sushi is the best sushi that I ever tasted in my life, even wow. compared to Japan. That's awesome. Because for her, like for Katie, my sushi was more comfortable mm-hmm. in terms of flavor, right? It's not as fishy, right? Mm. I sauce it differently. I garnish it differently. So it's not, you know, even like, for example, when you try uni, sea urchin, mm-hmm. some people don't like it because of texture, because that's briny flavor. Yeah, fishy, right? Right. But I sauce it differently. I garnish it differently to a point you're tasting uni, but it doesn't taste as fishy and briny. Right. Right. Whereas like in Japan, the taste of ocean, taste of that brininess is what is considered as tasty. Yeah. So different, like, I guess different concept. I noticed you did that because I don't like oysters, but when I tried it at Mizumi, it didn't taste as fishy as normal. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So do you source your stuff from like certain parts of the world that are not as fishy, I guess? I, I source a lot of my seafood, like majority of my seafood and fish from from japan japan um and i think there's a lot of authenticity behind that right mm-hmm. like i i'm a firm believer in authenticity and one of the best way to bring out the authenticity in the cooking is try to source the ingredients from where the cuisine is originally developed at, mm. right it just makes sense right yeah. so you know that's why i try to source a lot of stuff from japan um so even the oysters that you had was actually um that was actually local oh okay. it comes from like west coast um, I love West Coast seafood. Yeah. So I'm not like really married to the idea of like, I have to source everything from Japan. Like for me, it's about the quality, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes some stuff that I get from Japan is good, but then again, I can actually find and source better ingredients locally, surprisingly. Mm. So, you know, for me, it's always, I try to go by obviously the belief of authenticity, but at the same time, it always comes down to the flavor and then quality of yeah. the ingredients. I love that. I also saw Khabib stopped by, right? Khabib, I love him. Yeah, what I was that him. like? He's so he's a type of guy that I respect a lot. Like even before I met him, like I've I've always loved him, right? Yeah. Like the way, you know, his his work ethics and his you know his mentality and his you know his striveness to, towards like success and winning, it, it's just like it's so fascinating. Um, so when he came by, I was like almost like starstruck, right? I'm like, oh my god, it's Khabib! <laughs> and then um, you know, I've I have a lot of friends who is part of UFC, mm-hmm. you know, Dana, um, who's a good friend of mine. So you know, he stopped by, and you know, they kind of hooked me up with him, and I did, oh, hey chef, come here and say hello to Khabib. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was a very very nice guy, nice. and he talked to me a lot about. You know, because I asked a lot of questions. I'm like, man, like, what is it like to be like one of the best champs in the world? Yeah. And 
you know, a lot of answers that he gave was like very humble. Like mm. I like humble people. Yeah. I think having that humility and modesty is really important in people. For sure. Not to the point that you don't want to de- like, you know, dismiss yourself, right? But to the point that I don't like people with, you know, boasting of the energy of like arrogance. Right, right. Whereas Khabib was, you know, considering how big he is and how successful and like famous he is, he was very, very humble. Nice. And I love that about him. Yeah, he's undefeated, one of the best of all time. Yep. And then you got you got guys like McGregor that are the opposite. Yeah, I um, <laughs> I have a lot of things to say, but I will not say. <laughs> Which I've I've you know I've I've met I've met Connor a couple of times too. Oh, nice. Know, he he was on the property promoting his whiskeys and stuff. And, okay. Um, I've I've met him a few times, and you know I will um I will just stop there. Yeah, I want to dive into the business side of Mizumi for a bit. It's sure. one of the top restaurants in Vegas. Uh, it's been open for four years, right? Yep. What have you learned throughout that process about running a successful restaurant in Vegas? I, I would say, Sean, like probably one of the biggest lessons that I've learned is the power of the marketing, hmm. right? Um, and, you know, we've, we've talked about this briefly bef- before jumping on a podcast. Um, you know, for example, like, and again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm being very careful mentioning these names and brand. Like, yeah. But like, for example, like, let's say Nobu, right? Great brand, great restaurant. And, you know, I have, I want to stress out this, like, I have so much respect for Nobusan, right? He's yeah. a great chef. You know, he's one of the greatest mentor. Um, you know, but the thing, the thing about that Nobu and what they do so great is the marketing, right. right? People like automatically think of like Japanese food and they think of Nobu. Mm-hmm. Like, where do you want to go Japanese food? Like one of the probably first thing that people think about is what about Nobu? How, like, for sure. You know, so it's one of those, it became a, such an iconic institutional figure in this industry. And that's what I sort of learned and realized, like even though Mizumi has, you know, almost on par level of quality with Nobu, Mm -hmm. right? And it's arguably, in my opinion, one of the best Japanese restaurants, not only in Vegas, one of the best Japanese restaurants that you could have like station-wide, like it's just like nationwide, right? It's just such a great concept. The food is great. The quality is great. Like the standard is great. But it's just so under-marketed. Mm. So that's what I really focused on with obviously the marketing team from the win for the last four years to tr- really truly try to develop that power of the brand, mm. right? Really strengthening the brand power, which is everything in this industry. Right. Yes. You do want to get your personal brand out there more <laughs> and become more known. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I'm just starting to pursue my own venture um, soon, right? Mm-hmm. Um and I think what I've done at Mizumi at Win is really great. And, you know, and obviously I will continue to do that. But, you know, I want to like really grow uh, personally, but also like, you know, have really my own brand yeah. out there, you know, just to, you know, compete with Nobusan and right. One of those top chefs levels out there. Mm-hmm. And I really want to be on that level um, one day. So yeah. that's what I'm trying to pursue um, very soon. Nice. Do you ever want to go on those cooking shows? I, um, I've been on a couple of those cooking shows and, you know, the thing about that is like, I don't want to mention the name because it's like very, very, um, well-known cooking show, but I was on this cooking show a couple of years ago. And so that was, that was filmed in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And what I didn't realize was, well, I only realized when I got there, the whole thing was like staged. Oh yeah. There was a script. It was it was like so upsetting and disappointing oh. to find out. Obviously, not to the whole extent of it. Yeah. But basically, they've already determined who is going to win. What? Ah, oh, so you can't even win. 
You can't. Like, unless you are so good to the point you can convince the director or producer at that, at that point on the spot to, like, change his mind thinking, <laughs> you know what? I actually don't want that guy to win. I want this guy to win. Wow. Which never happens, right? Because yeah. everything is already scripted to a point around knowing that who's going to win. That's not cool. And so, you know, and like there was a lot of different competitors and, you know, people on the show and nobody, like, except the guy who knew who was going to win, everybody else had no clue of that idea. That's crazy. So everyone was like really dumbfounded, right? And yeah. we're like, oh, so why are we even here? Yeah, what's the point? Right? So that was really disappointing. And yeah. I, I hear a lot of shows, maybe not every show, but a lot of shows like that. Damn, that's upsetting. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of like viewers, we don't know that, right? I had no idea. We get so sucked into, for example, like, you know, shows like MasterChef and, you know, stuff like you, you, like you watch and you get so drawn into that whole competition as if yeah. you are participating yourself. But, you know, um, so it's, it's quite upsetting sometimes. Wow. So what's next for you, man? I know you got Min's Test Kitchen going on yeah, right now. yeah. And you said you want to open up eight more restaurants. Yeah. So, you know, I'm sort of um, partnering up with um, venture capital people um, that I've known for a long time, you know. Um, and I think it's really time for me to just be on my own and just really spread their wings and um, just see where the, where the sky limit is, right? I mm -hmm. just really want to, like, get out there and start developing my own brand and, um, you know, see where that takes me. Love that, man. Yeah. Anything you're trying to promote or end off with? Um, you know, like, I think I'm in a stage where I'm still like a little bit cautious about like, you know, what to promote and, you know, how to sort of, um, like word it and how to like sort of strategize it a little mm -hmm. bit. But, you know, when I have more definite plans of what I want to do and where I'll be, um, I will definitely hit you up again, Sean, and, you know, we'll make another session of it. Love it. Thanks so much for coming on, man. Thank you, Sean. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for watching guys. And I'll see you next time.